In 2020, then-President Donald Trump sent a tweet to his 82 million followers about a candidate running for U.S. Senate in New Hampshire that read, Corky Messner will be a fantastic senator for New Hampshire. He has my complete and total endorsement. A little over three years later, on August 25th, 2023, Corky Messner met with the Secretary of State of New Hampshire to make a case that Donald Trump should be disqualified from appearing on the ballot at all in the next presidential election. My co-host, former Congressman Paul Hodes, and I wanted to know what happened? Is this going to work? And what are the consequences of this kind of ballot challenge if it gets copied across the country? So we called Corky up and we asked him, and he was gracious enough to join us here on Beyond Politics. Corky Messner is a West Point graduate who went on to found a law firm in Colorado that grew to more than 200 employees across nine states. In 2018, he became a resident of New Hampshire and was the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate in New Hampshire in 2020. Corky, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thanks, Matt, for having me on. How you doing, Paul? I'm good. I'm fascinated by the whole subject that we're going to talk about, and I'm delighted to meet you. This entire situation, it must feel a little surreal to you. The number one question that I think jumped out to me is probably on listeners' minds is, how did you get here? What led you to make this push to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot? Yeah, I would say, first of all, it's I am an advocate for the Constitution. That's what I'm doing here, advocating for the Constitution. Secondly, as you mentioned, I'm a West Point graduate. I served in the Army. I was an officer. I took an oath to defend the Constitution. My two sons are West Point graduates now serving. They took an oath to defend the Constitution. When this Section 3 14th Amendment issue started bubbling up, actually in 2022, when Madison Cawthorn and Marjorie Taylor Greene were challenged under Section 3, I paid a little bit of attention to it. And I can talk about what happened in those two cases. And then about a month ago, this law review article came out that was written by distinguished conservative constitutional scholars that one name, one last name, Bod, the other Paulson. And it's a 124-page law review article that essentially concludes that Donald Trump is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So I slogged through that law review article. And if you've never read a lot of review article, they are difficult reading. And I'm on it the second time. And they, their analysis is very solid. It's very thorough. It's very complete. So I was ignited by that article. And I thought, wait a minute, somebody needs to step up and stand for the Constitution. And that's what I'm doing. So it's a pretty remarkable journey. Donald Trump endorsed you when you ran for the U.S. Senate in New Hampshire in 2020. Now you're pushing for him to be disqualified, defending the Constitution. And I hear you about the Constitution. As a member of Congress, I took an oath to defend the Constitution, and I took it seriously. You got Amendment 14, Article 3, and there's a vibrant debate going on about whether or not the provision is what's called self-executing. And so you went to visit the Secretary of State, Dave Scanlon, our recent New Hampshire Secretary of State. Can you share with us what his reaction was? What happened when you yeah. sat down with him? Yeah. And I frame this a little differently, guys. Let me just say this is I my position is this issue needs to get in front of the United States Supreme Court. 
And I find the article very compelling that ultimately this needs to get in front of the United States Supreme Court. So when I sat down with Secretary of State Scanlon, I have a lot of respect for him. He's very conscientious about what he does. And the first thing he said to me was, Quirky, I cannot make this decision without some legal guidance. And my response to that was, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's for some decide to disqualify Donald Trump based on Section 3 without interpretation from the courts and hopefully the U.S. Supreme Court. That's a lot to ask somebody. Now, yes, the law review article is compelling, but it's a law review article. So he said he needed guidance, legal guidance. I said, I agree with you. And so the discussion went to, okay, how does the timing of this play out? So you can make a decision as soon as possible, which then would create a situation where the issue would be a case or controversy. It would be ripe for litigation so that I could get this thing in court, assuming I have standing and we're looking at that issue. So we talked about that. We talked about how to do that. And we talked about the first in the nation primary and the timing It's not even set yet. And you got to come back 45 days for the ballots to be mailed. Then you got to come back from that to get the ballots printed. So when does he open the the filing period? And my ask of him was, gee, open it as soon as possible. And then presumably Donald Trump will come in and file and you'll either accept it or reject it. And in which case there's a dispute. And then we can get this thing into the court system and then hopefully expedite it to the United States Supreme Court. Corky, you're an attorney. You clearly take your role as an attorney and sometimes having to be an officer of the court very seriously. You're also an officer in the U.S. Army or were, and you obviously take that responsibility and that oath very seriously. And so those are good and sufficient reasons for you to undertake this initiative to explore with the Secretary of State, is former President Trump ineligible to appear on the ballot? But look, without insulting you, you're also a politician. By definition, you've run for the U.S. Senate. Therefore, you are acutely aware of the politics of all of this. And in today's highly charged, polarized political environment, you had to know going into this that there were going to be political repercussions. And I just want to talk for a second about those. Since you had this meeting and since it was reported in the press, prominent Republicans in the state have stayed away, such as Governor Chris Sununu, or they've actively opposed the idea, including the current state Republican chairman. I'm curious, what kind of a reaction have you gotten from friends and family members and Republican colleagues? Were you worried about that in advance? Or are you surprised about how they've responded? Yes and no. Of course, this is going to stir up the politics and stir it up even more when it's at a very high level as it's very charged, especially with Trump. I think one of my big surprises in all this has been conservatives who are hold themselves out as strict constructionists of the Constitution and textualists suddenly 
believe in a living constitution. They're not, they're not so much a strict constructionist now. I, I've seen the light. I've seen yeah, the that's on the left are suddenly being strict. I would say I'm really disappointed on what the chairman of the NHGOP said. I think, quite frankly, I think he embarrassed himself with his comments. And he obviously hadn't read section three. I think that he went on Charlie Kirk's show, who is a strong advocate of Trump and stirred him up, which led to the Secretary of State's office getting pummeled with negative stuff from the Trump supporters. I don't think that's being neutral. I think the for Republicans, we ought to be saying, yeah, this. let's see what the Supreme Court says about this. This is a legitimate, serious constitutional issue. I have received my share of incoming. It's at the same time, my biggest surprise was the volume of support I've received. And that I did not expect. And it's come in a lot. Yeah. Borky, where's the support come from in terms of the political spectrum? It's hard to say because I'm getting emails that from people who don't identify as a Democrat or Republican. I think by the tone of some of the emails, they're conservatives who believe in the Constitution and want me to advocate for the Constitution. The negative stuff is crazy. It's just crazy and it's nasty and it's threatening. And at one point I tried to respond to people, but quite frankly, uh, a lot of these folks don't want to open their minds and listen to logic or reason or what the Constitution says. Yeah, the politics are hot and heavy. I think I'm a bit disappointed at the Republican Party and conservatives in particular that I think they're so afraid of Trump, they're afraid to defend the Constitution. And that's a sad place to be in. And it's one of the reasons through this journey, I've been contacted by organizations who mostly left-leaning organizations and that want to team up with me. And I, I won't do it because I'm trying to stay as focused on the co Constitution as possible and not on the politics of it. But as you say, Matt, you can't avoid the politics here. Listen, to, to follow up on, on the point, as we've seen, Trump seems to divide the world into people who are loyal to him and everyone else who in the past he's often labeled as traitors or enemies. Just take a look at his vice president, Mike Pence, somebody else who also stood up for the Constitution and basically a very conservative Republican who said, I have a duty to the Constitution, not to a person. Have you thought about whether making this move could put you in the Donald Trump traitor or enemy category? And does that effectively end any political prospects that you might have in the future to run as a Republican? Yeah, a great question. First of all, I'll say I have no ambition to run for office again. I have a great life. I have great kids. It, one of the things I learned in is that the system is horribly corrupt. And I say that from the left's corrupt, the right's corrupt, DC's corrupt. The system is horribly corrupt, in my opinion. I think the whole Donald Trump factor is, I think he has corrupted the Republican Party even greater than the system is already corrupt, if that makes sense. I, as, as far as if I get on Trump's radar, so be it. It, it is what it is. You certainly got a lot to worry about other than. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would, one political aspect of this is I would hope that conservatives, Republicans pay attention to this 
and see that there is a need in the party for some courageous leadership. This is bad for America, bad for the party, bad for conservatives. The, it, I can just tell you, I've, since the 2020 election, and I am a consumer of all this information about what happened. I've literally read some of the cases and the judicial decisions that's, that came out of the litigation that Rudy Giuliani brought. And so I'm deep into everything. I've studied the evidence around, was the election stolen? I've studied the stuff around January 6th. And it is, it amazes me and saddens me that the Republican Party, you know, doesn't have the courage to say, wait a minute, this is not who we are. And if that means that the Trump voters are going to do whatever they do, so be it. Right now, everybody is pandering to the Trump voters. And I just wanted to follow up with something because our colleague, conservative commentator, analyst, Alicia Preston, and we have been talking about where's the leadership in the Republican Party That's right. for whatever, whatever we may think and whatever policy differences we may have. America needs a responsible Republican Party, whether in power, out of power, however it works. We need that responsible conservative Republican Party so that we can have a real dialogue about policy. Maybe I'm not going to put ideas in your head, but just maybe if your guy doesn't seem to be afraid of of Trump or what might come, maybe you're the voice that the Republican Party needs not only to bring this issue up, but to say what you've just said to your fellow Republicans. Maybe they're waiting for you to lead them out of the wilderness. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I can say this, that in relationship to my efforts advocating for the Constitution, everybody who asked, I talked to. I've, I did not expect this, quite frankly, but I'll talk to everybody. I'll talk to anybody about this. And my focus is on the Constitution. I have, if people start paying attention and the support continues and I become a leader in the Republican Party to out of the wilderness, so to speak, so be it. I'm willing to do that. The, my whole life, I'm a West Point graduate. I was an infantry company commander in Germany during the Cold War. I built a law firm. I, so leadership is something that comes naturally to me. And it's a, a, a lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. And right now, we have far too many people in the Republican Party following or getting the hell out of the way. And we need some leadership. Listen, I love this country. I believe in the Constitution. My, my sons, they could have gone to school anywhere and they wanted to go to West Point. I actually tried to talk them out of going to West Point. And one is in Germany. The other son is getting deployed to Romania next month. And, and they're fighting so that we can speak our minds and that Donald Trump can speak his mind and he has due process. The, I think the way that the Republicans are politicizing all this and demonizing the institutions, the FBI, the DOJ, is bad for the country. Having said that, the FBI and the DOJ, I think, really hurt their credibility with respect to the, the Russian investigation back in 2016, 17, 18. We know that the inspector general basically said, eh, the basis to start this was very thin. We know that. 
and that really hurt their credibility. I think this, whatever's going on with Hunter Biden and the fact that judge kicked out the plea deal hurts their credibility. But still, and I said to one of the presidential candidates, I said, Jack Smith is the real deal. Jack Smith believes in the Constitution. He believes in enforcing the law. He may be a Democrat, but he believes in the Constitution. And, and the process there is working, in my opinion. These indictments, the process is working. And Donald Trump is innocent until proven guilty. And he will have an opportunity in court to, to defend himself. If you drill down into the evidence of all this stuff, it's pretty darn compelling. It is very compelling. But he is innocent until proven guilty. That's a great jumping off point for something that we wanted to ask about. And who knows, we may have all been hiding the ball a little bit on our viewers and our listeners with this, because we're very curious about a statement that you gave to NBC. You said that the Supreme Court may decide that, in fact, Section 3 does not disqualify Donald Trump. And you added that would be good for Trump, that the air would be clear for him then. NBC reported that you went on to add that if Donald Trump in 2024 wins the GOP nomination, you would in fact vote for him. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about your thinking here because you clearly, as you just said, have closely examined the details of these cases. You are an attorney, so you know what you're doing when you look into these cases, right? You, you know what you're reading. And you clearly think that Trump's actions were a severe enough assault on the Constitution to potentially invoke the 14th Amendment. So you're not dismissing them out of hand as political. And I'll finally just add that you were one race away. You came, you know, a few, if you had won your race in 2020, you would have been a few weeks away from joining Mitch McConnell on the floor of the U.S. Senate as a colleague when he said in January of 2021 that the mob was fed lies and they were provoked by the president and other powerful people, and they tried to use fear and violence to stop a proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. So my question is, given all of this, would you still vote for Donald Trump if he were the Republican nominee in 2024? And what would your thinking be? Yeah, I, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. And I'll vote for the Republican nominee. And if it turns out to be Trump, I'll vote for him. I, it. I don't believe in not voting. I know a lot of Republicans are saying, oh, I won't vote for Trump, but I won't vote for Biden if, in fact, he's the Democrat nominee. I just don't believe in that. So I would vote for Trump. It's loyalty to the party. It's my loyalty to hopefully having enough Republicans and conservatives to provide some guardrails on Trump and to get conservative ideals and values into policy. As odd as that sounds, that's how I feel about it. I Listen, I'm not a Trump hater. I think what he's done has been very bad. It's just, I think, and I can go through it all. I know it. I can go through it all. What he's done is very bad. I think, think Trump is a very dishonest person. I do think he's a grifter. I think he's in, in the midst of all this and something you don't hear about much is he has severe financial issues right now, not only with the Save America PAC. And the Save America PAC, the first six months of this year, between 3 and $4 million a month on legal fees. 
it was down to around $4 million as of June 30. But in addition, I think his business, his businesses are in very difficult financial situation. I think this case that the New York State Attorney General brought, Letitia James, the civil case where she's trying to get $250 million off of him. She just filed, I think a week ago, a motion for summary judgment and lays out in that motion of summary judgment all the facts around that case. And I think he's in big trouble in that case. So in addition to all the political nonsense that he does and the name calling and the deception and the manipulation and taking all this money from these folks that really don't have money to donate to him is an awful thing. And how he uses that money, I don't know if you noticed, but he's not campaigning much. All his campaigning is through social media. Sure, he does a rally now and again, but not too much. I haven't seen much on TV, any ads. And I think it's because all the money's being being funneled into his defense. And as I've said to a friend recently, having been in difficult legal situations for clients in my life, the pressure builds and it builds and something's going to happen. The dam's going to break. And it's gonna, and something will trigger that, whether it's people flipping on him, whether it's his finances totally blowing up on him, it's something's gonna happen that will, I think, maybe put Trump on the sideline. And just to follow up on that last point, what I heard you saying was that you have conflicting issues of loyalty involved here. One is you are a conservative and you have a loyalty to the Republican Party and a belief in electing Republicans because you want to see conservative policies advanced in our government. And so all things being equal, you're going to vote for Republicans. Makes sense. Most Americans feel that way one way or the other. On the other hand, you've laid out in no uncertain terms that you are a staunch believer in the Constitution. And look, as a former army officer, you're not afraid of getting some nasty emails. You were willing to take all of these slings that you knew would be coming right. because of your feeling to the constitution. So sense the tension there, just to follow up on this point, if Donald Trump were convicted in the January 6th case that's being brought in federal court by Jack Smith or the Georgia case for election interference, if it is found by a jury in our judicial system that he did indeed break his oath to the constitution and interfere with our election, interfere with the operation of our federal government, try to overturn a democratic election. And yet he were still the Republican nominee. Would you still vote for him then? He was. That was gonna so, be my question. I'm not a lawyer like you, Paul, but I can get to, I can get to tough right. questions. So essentially, if he and he's still the Republican nominee <laughs> on 90 felonies or one of them, or because um, this is a realistic possibility, right? It now. is a realistic possibility, a realistic possibility. I think if it plays out that way, I would lead the charge that we cannot support a convicted felon to be president of the United States. And I would lead the charge that not to vote for him. In that scenario, if we're sitting here in November 2024 and he's a convicted felon and he's the nominee, I would lead the charge that this is beyond the pale 
and we need to get away from this. Now, having said that, I think the, that's a hypothetical. I think the more likely hypo- hypothetical, if all that happens, I don't think he'll be the nominee. In fact, I don't think he's going to be the nominee no matter what. And Interesting. Yes, I do not believe he's going to be the nominee. I think all the polling and everything, it's, I think a lot of that polling is self-generated by Trump. It's, and like I said, I think a lot's going to happen here. And it might be that Supreme Court says he's disqualified. I, I think I'm actually catching on to, if just to read this back to you, what you're essentially saying is, and you said this from the beginning, this question of whether he qualifies for the ballot, you believe that there's enough of a legal question here that you're willing to push this, that yes. you're willing to take the initiative and lead on it. You think it's a vital question. You are convinced by the potential case raised by the legal scholars. And so you were willing to push this, but you also believe it's a matter for the Supreme Court to rule on. And so what you are saying is, if he is cleared to be on the ballot by the Supreme Court, and if he is cleared of wrongdoing by the courts in these cases that are up against him right now, then you are still supporting him for president if he is the nominee. But if he is ruled ineligible for the ballot, then so be it. And if he is convicted, that will be a bridge too far for you. That's right. I think that's okay. right. And here's the here's a key point of that, that there's no question that there, there are issues with the DOJ and the FBI that need to be cleaned up. Full stop. What's going on? First, in- wouldn't be the first time, by the way. Exactly. Now, under, exactly. It, wouldn't be, it would not be the first time. Exactly. The that doesn't mean, however, that these cases against Trump, these criminal cases, are in and of themselves problematic or corrupt. These grand jury looked at a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence, and if you read the indictments, it's very compelling evidence. It's so I believe the system is working. I believe in the system, and I believe that a jury will make that a jury who we call the finder of fact will take all that evidence and they will make the decision about what the facts are. And he's innocent until proven guilty. And, and if he's found guilty, then he's a convicted felon. And, uh, and that is a bridge too far for me. And I think the way the Republicans are handling this, they are damaging these institutions to a much greater extent than the corruption in those institutions, if that makes sense. And so it's, and I think, and that's where I think leadership needs to come in here. And and everybody pandering to this just, and some people I have a lot of respect for, like Tom Cotton, I like Tom. He's, I can't believe he's coming out defending Trump on all this stuff. And it's, and even something like the documents case, you talk about a situation where Donald Trump created the entire problem himself. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. So let's let me just turn back to a legal question I have. Clearly, the founders who wrote the Constitution had in mind the notion that let's just say to impeach you needed to have a conviction by trial in the Senate. If you were going to remove the president from office, you had had the impeachment in the House and then went to the Senate for a trial, and there had to be a conviction. When the 14th Amendment 
third paragraph was written. It was after the Civil War. The South was sending insurrectionists to Congress. Congress didn't like it. And they said, if you participated or incited in an insurrection or gave aid or comfort to the enemy, you couldn't hold office. So this whole question of self-executing, there's nowhere in the provision that says you have to be convicted of insurrection in order to not hold office. So do it, number one, do you agree that the 14th Amendment is self-executing? I'm pretty sure your answer is yes. And then the second question, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, does the New Hampshire Secretary of State have the authority to remove Trump from the ballot on his own or disqualify him or reject him? Does he have that capacity? And if that's questionable, wouldn't you have been better off just filing a lawsuit? No. Yeah. Just when you say just filing a lawsuit, you have this issue of rightness and standing, and you just can't go out and file a lawsuit. The a few things there. Section three also says the last sentence that this disability can be removed by two thirds vote of Congress. Correct. So that's one. Yeah. What's that? Both thirds in both houses. Both houses. That's right. Yes. Section three says that anybody who's taken the oath to the Constitution, who's in up to to has a duty to disqualify somebody. It's just like the Article Two requirements: age, born in America, living here fourteen years. They're saying it's a duty now, and it says engage in insurrection or rebellion doesn't say convicted of. And if you think about it logically, when they passed it, they didn't want to have to go and convict thousands of Southerners. They, there just wasn't the capacity to do that. And remember that it only applies to people who previously has taken an oath to the U.S. Constitution. So the issue for the Secretary of State becomes what standard to apply? What is the burden of proof, all right? is that someone has engaged in or given aid and comfort to? Is it a preponderance of the evidence? Is it a good faith? Is it beyond a reasonable doubt? That's where the issue comes in, is, all right, how do I measure engage this? It's pretty easy when you're talking about how old are you? Now, remember, Trump had the birther movement against Obama, right? That was saying he wasn't born in America, all right? I could also say to you that I don't know that ever in the history of the United States has a secretary of state in a state when looking to put someone on the presidential ballot done any due diligence that the person has been a resident in the United States for 14 years. They undoubtedly, when they file in New Hampshire, you're certifying that. But who does due diligence? It's if Elon Musk, if you look at what the NHGOP chairman said, hey, let the voters decide. Everyone's on the ballot. If Elon Musk showed up and filled out the certification, would you accept it or reject it? Would you disqualify him because he was born in South Africa? So it, it really, with respect to Section 3, it becomes a question of, okay, you got to have some standards so that you don't have a secretary of state somewhere acting irrationally, acting frivolously. So and that's what the Supreme Court needs to do. They need to say, okay, here are the standards. And the other thing about Section 3 that, that people want to just say, oh, forget about that. 
Well, that was a civil war thing. Remember what else is in the 14th Amendment in Section 1? The Due Process Clause, the right. Equal Protection Clause. Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And Those are important. Yes. And yeah, so this right. idea that it only applies to people who were involved in the Civil War, that's a bunch of nonsense. It's, and listen, thank God we've never had to face this at the presidential level before, but now we're here. You raise a really critical question, and let me get you out of here on this, with this follow-up to what you raise. My concern about this entire issue from the beginning, and one of the reasons I thought it was so important to invite you onto the show and get people to, to hear your thinking is, I'm really worried about Pandora's box. And I'm wondering how much you're worried about Pandora's box. And I'm going to skip to the end here and say, I agree with you that we need the Supreme Court to weigh in here. Because my concern is, here's what we've seen so far. On July 12th, Free Speech for People and Mi Familia Vota Education Fund issued letters to nine secretaries of state and chief election officials in different states, urging them to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. In Florida, a tax attorney has sued Donald Trump in federal court to keep him off the ballot on 14th Amendment grounds. There is a lawsuit already in New Hampshire from John Anthony Castro, who is a long shot Republican presidential candidate. The Michigan Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, has said that she's already coordinating with counterparts in other battleground states like Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania about what the heck to do. And it's your point, it's your exact point, what standard to apply. And that's only one side of the coin. Because you just know, as you are an experienced politician, that this story is not going to end here. There are going to be Republican responses. We've already seen a move in the U.S. House of Representatives last year to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas on the grounds that he has failed to uphold the Constitution by failing to enforce the border. And those could easily be the same grounds under which you could seek to disqualify President Joe Biden from appearing on the ballot. You could say that he's given aid and comfort to enemies of the Constitution. Do I think that holds constitutional water? I personally do not. But as you just said, there's nothing to stop a Secretary of State from applying a frivolous standard. So all of this wins around to my last question for you, which is, are you worried about the Pandora's box scenario and where all of this is going? Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I'd be foolish not to be. It's which, as you said, it's why the Supreme Court needs to weigh in on this. So, yeah, the we are at a point in our politics where the when I look at politics, you obviously have your partisan part of it and you have part of it where politicians would act in good faith on certain issues and matters. I think the reservoir of good faith on both the left and the right is diminished virtually. And I don't want to deflect here, but I'm going to just say it. it is a surprise to me that Democrats aren't saying that the, all this stuff around Hunter Biden stuff is horribly corrupt. It's just horribly corrupt. Forget about all the way. It's just corrupt. But anyway, I don't want to digress into that. The other thing about this that has really surprised me, and it's back to this standard, what is the standard, is this issue's been bouncing around since 2022. This law review article's been out now for about a month. There is no thorough, researched, complete, similar analysis coming from the other side of this issue, that Section 3 is, in fact, does not qualify Trump which surprises me because I want to be open-minded about this. I want to read what others are saying. 
that we don't have it if we ever now i can tell well, you i'll refer our readers to professor michael mcconnell if you read reason magazine and the Velope conspiracy which i don't because i'm a democrat but many people conservatives or libertarians do and uh, you can check this out there is a response it's not a 100 page uh, legal filing but there there is an argument here that clearly the framers did not intend this much untrammeled power to be in the hands of secretaries of state that's sort of the argument yeah, Mark Levin's written an article and Jonathan Turley's written an article, but they're opinion pieces. They're not well-researched and thorough. So yeah, I can make arguments that it shouldn't apply. The Supreme Court doesn't approach it that way. So it, but yeah, it needs to get to the Supreme Court. Yes, I'm worried about a Pandora's box. I, I tend to believe that People like Secretary of State Scanlon will act in good faith. I think others will. I think Benson from where's Michigan, Secretary of State Benson, is that her name? Yes. I saw some of her interviews. I believe she's acting in good faith. And and this is a serious matter. I want to say two things on the way out. First of all, I want to express our appreciation for you coming on the show. In this day and age, it's not easy if you're a member of one political party to say, yeah, sure, I'd love to have a conversation on a show hosted by two Democrats. And the fact that you are open to doing that and that we can still have these kinds of thoughtful conversations, I think is great. And I think we need a heck of a lot more of it in this country. And we really respect where you're coming from. We may not agree on all of our policy proposals, but we sure. really respect where you're coming from in terms well, of you. your belief in supporting the Constitution. And we also want to express our appreciation and good wishes for your sons in Germany and Romania for representing our country and deploying there on behalf of our country. So thank you to them for their service and thanks for being with us on Beyond Politics. Thank you so much, guys. Anytime.